0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome again uh, to Redeemer and to this Palm Sunday service. Um, We are glad that you've been able to be with us today, whether online in the greenhouse or here in the sanctuary. Uh, This morning, what I want to do is I want to begin by looking at our at our passages, but I want to begin, uh, perhaps in in an unlikely place with looking at crowds. What's the biggest crowd you've been a part of? Uh, Recently, for me, it probably was outside (laughs) just a little bit ago, right? Um, I know it's been a while, and a year of social distancing makes crowds seem like a bygone era, but I think it teaches us something. Uh, Prior to this, right, crowds for some of us, some of us may have hated it, right, some of us may like big crowds, just the excitement that comes uh, at being at a sporting event, maybe a concert, maybe you love crowds, Um, just the buzz of the energy, right, crowds can be positive things. Maybe it's walking down the street in a huge city, maybe it's just being surrounded by the, or just having the anonymity of being surrounded by people you don't know. But crowds, as we've learned in this last year, can also be kind of dangerous things. Um, There's something that can happen, right, as we've learned in being in big groups uh, that make them not so uh, enjoyable. Uh, And it's this idea of crowds that got me interested in the readings that we saw uh, or that we just heard uh, in the last few minutes. Because crowds play an interesting role in the story of Jesus, too. If you've ever read through the Gospels, you might have noticed them because wherever Jesus goes, he seemingly draws a, a crowd. People flock to Jesus to be around his teaching says he teaches with authority and people are amazed at his teaching. He draws crowds because he often offers food and met physical needs of the people that were around him as he healed them and ministered to them. In desperate situations, Jesus' ministry was a lifeline to the most pressing needs of those around him as he spoke about the coming kingdom of God. He drew crowds for the miracles because his miracles alleviated human suffering and with so much suffering around him, Jesus reached out in compassion to to change those things. Uh, so naturally, when people heard that Jesus was around, they wanted to be to be near him and so throughout mark 's gospel, it 's reported that Jesus draws crowds, and when he sees crowds, he has compassion on them, because this is where he draws his disciples from today 's passage in Mark eleven that we heard uh, outside marks the beginning. Of the final week of Jesus's life. And near the end of that week, we're going to meet another crowd, as we were just reminded in our most recent gospel reading. Though this crowd isn't flocking to him for the typical reasons, no, this crowd is different. This crowd is angry. This crowd is powerful. And this crowd will want nothing to do with Jesus. This crowd will crucify him. A lot can change in a week. As we all know, crowds can be kind of fickle things. You're a hero the one day, and the next day you find yourself the villain. Yet I'd remind us again that Jesus still chooses to have compassion on these crowds, despite their potential to turn on him. Because as I mentioned, this is where the disciples come from. Our story today in Mark 11 is the Palm Sunday story, and perhaps it's a familiar one for you. But I think it needs to be read in light of what Mark has been doing throughout his gospel. And we might miss the radical turn of events that happens in the final week of Jesus's life. We saw that dissonance maybe even as you sat here through the readings. One, we entered in triumphant and joyful. The other one was quite somber and unsettling. And in a weird way, this would be the equivalent of beginning our service outside and then gathering a little bit later this week at the death penalty hearing for someone and shouting the word crucify I mean, it's that level of of dissonance that we meet that's the turn of events and so how do we get from the beginning of the week Hosanna praises to a week later shouts of crucify well the first thing to notice is that a whole week passes so we're mark 11 is at the beginning mark 14 and 15 which Ashley read is at the end of the week And so that whole week, the events of that week are going to radically change things. But let's start at the beginning in Mark 11. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them either on your device or on uh, a print Bible. Some of them will be on the screen. Uh, So our story today in Mark 11 starts right outside Jerusalem. Uh, I have a map on the screen. It starts out near two small towns called Bethpage and Bethany. You can see Bethpage there. It's about two miles outside the city of Jerusalem, nearby the Mount of Olives. And this is where the story begins to take place. And we begin by meeting Jesus preparing to enter the city for the first time in Mark's gospel. There's a lot of anticipation building here. So what does he do? As we heard in our reading, he sends off two disciples to gather a vehicle for transport. So they go and they grab a donkey and for Jesus to ride into the city. Uh, at this time, it was about the time for Passover, and so there's a festival, and the city would be swelling to about 200,000 people. What's that like? That's, that's a big crowd again, right? Uh, for, to give us kind of a glimpse of that, for the past several years, Greensboro has hosted the Folk Festival downtown. And the city reports that about 150,000 people come out to that event every year. So imagine if we all showed up at the same time on Elm Street, just how packed and how bustling. That would be. That's something of the feel in Jerusalem this week, and what it would have felt like at the time. But Jesus does something unusual right here at the beginning that we don't want to miss. Uh, at festival time, it was encouraged that if it was possible, that you should walk into the city to celebrate. That you should take a stroll right into the city and sing those songs, the songs of ascent, as you went up. So notice what Jesus architects in this scene by asking. For a donkey, he's going to be riding into the city. He's going to be noticed. You have a whole sea of people and one dude riding a donkey, that's going to stand out. He's literally above the rest. And so Jesus has his vehicle ready to go and he embarks into the city from Bethpage. As he does, a crowd begins to form around him and they are excited with what they see. They throw down branches to give Jesus a red carpet entry into the capital city. And in verse 9, the crowd proclaims him as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They shout, Hosanna, which means save us now. And in verse 10, they talk about David's kingdom. And I want to stop right here and ask, what is it about a guy riding a donkey in palm branches that make the crowd think about salvation in a kingdom. Why do those things add up to save us now in David's kingdom? I mean, if you saw someone on Elm Street riding a donkey, your first thought might be okay, kind of odd. But this is Elm Street. So um, I guess we'll just pass on by and go into the place we're going to go eat. Uh, You probably wouldn't immediately think, hey, I wonder if this is the new king of Greensboro. Like that wouldn't be the thought in your mind. And so when we go to read Mark 11, one tricky part of reading the Bible is that it's written to different people in different places in a different time. And so there can be some elements that we'd miss to some of these images. And so when we think of someone riding a donkey in palm ranches, most likely, we may think of what we just did outside a few minutes ago. Oh, yeah, that's that thing we do once a year, pretty common, pretty normal. We've like normalized that entire process. One thing we'd miss, however, is what this image would evoke for people in Jesus's day. In fact, there's two really important stories in Israel's history uh, that I think are swirling around in the background of what Jesus is doing here. And so, for example, if you were to search, and you can do this later, uh, for the word donkey and the word David, you would find a story that would come up. I think it's the only one. It's in a book called First Kings, which is the royal history of ancient Israel. And I have the passage up on the screen, and I want to look at it together this morning. Because this story comes at an important transition in Israel's history. It says in 1 Kings chapter 1 So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet went down and had Solomon mount King David's mule. And they escorted him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live. King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing pipes and rejoicing greatly so that the ground shook with the sound. Notice anything similar? Interesting, right? Here's a story of David and a donkey mule, and it comes as he's anointing his son Solomon to be the next king. And the people are excited because as they follow Solomon back in, they're rejoicing over the new king who has been inaugurated. And he's riding back into the city of Jerusalem, riding a vehicle for transport. It's fascinating. And so what we see somewhat in Mark's gospel is a narration of the inauguration events of a king. You see, riding a donkey or mule into the city would evoke perhaps one of the most powerful dynasties in Israel's history, the Davidic dynasty. And most people were longing for this to be restored. This is why the crowd might be wondering, is this one of David's sons? Seems like it. As in verse 10, the crowd shouts, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. There's so much anticipation that Jesus could be the one. So that's one story. The other story comes from a period we might not know a lot about. It comes from that period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a Jewish revolutionary named Simon who is at war with some Greeks, I think post-Alexander the Great. And at this time, they are the enemies of ancient Israel. Simon ends up defeating them in war, and there's a really interesting recording of the celebration that follows. I have this passage up on the screen. Notice again another parallel to today's gospel reading. There is a great celebration in the city, that is Jerusalem, because this terrible threat to the security of Israel had come to an end. And so Simon and his men entered the fort, singing hymns of praise and thanksgiving, while carrying palm branches, and playing harps and cymbals and lyres, and Simon issued a decree that the day should be joyfully celebrated every year. Another important story in this time it involves palm branches and a victorious military figure. Simon returns to Jerusalem having defeated Israel's enemies via war and is welcomed back into the town with shouts of praise and with palm branches. And so if we jump back in the Mark, we can see this whole story in a way I think the crowds would have seen it then. When Jesus gets up on a donkey and people start to shout, save us now, when they wave palm branches and talk about the return of David's kingdom, people are going to perk up and notice what's going on. A king is returning to the city, and he might be the one to defeat our enemies. You see, the crowds want someone to come and rescue and save them from their enemies. If you've ever heard of the term Messiah, this is what was meant by it. These images are what are produced. In Jesus' day, a Messiah was someone who who would be a rescuer. But that rescue would come in a very specific way with the overthrow of one's enemies. And this is what's going to make the next week's events so entirely disappointing to this crowd. By the end of a week, that other crowd will form, and they just won't be disappointed with what happened. They'll be angry. And this time, the shouting won't be the Hosanna praises. It will be the shout to crucify. Have you ever wondered why does the crowd lose interest? Why do they shift from seeing Jesus as the hero to seeing him him as a disappointment? Remember, the crowds play an interesting role in the Gospel of Mark. Throughout his story, the crowds have run from town to town to follow Jesus as he travels throughout Galilee. In another episode, they end up spending three days with him. Adoration. And they're often amazed at the teaching of miracles. But the interesting thing for Mark is that amazement is not enough. It's not just enough to be amazed with Jesus. Here's the fascinating thing about the crowds in Mark's gospel. As long as no one knows what's going to happen to Jesus, they continue to follow him. That is, the the crowds are glad to welcome Jesus when his story is open-ended, when it could go any direction. When the conclusion to his life isn't known yet. Even in our passage today in Mark 11, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, I think they're excited about the possibility of Jesus being the Messiah. The events of the following week would move the crowd from excitement to doubt to fear and ultimately to anger. And one of the first things to cause this shift, as we saw in the second reading, is Jesus getting arrested. Not a good move for a Messiah. How is a Messiah like David supposed to lead a revolution when he's in handcuffs? Now arrested, Jesus is put on trial and doesn't defend himself, even though the charges carry a death penalty. Again, not a good move for a Messiah. What kind of Messiah doesn't defend himself? Jesus doesn't seem to put up a fight, and it seems like a fight is exactly what everyone wants. And these events caused the crowd to quickly abandon him. No true Messiah would allow himself to be treated like this or not put up at least a good fight in going down. Here's the point. As Jesus is arrested and rendered powerless, the crowd stop following him. This is what changes the reaction of the crowds. It's when Jesus loses what the crowd deems as power that the people stop following him and then they shift to not wanting him around. Now he's a liability. The crowd wanted to be Messiah making. They wanted a Messiah that fit their own purposes and plans, a Messiah that was powerful. And when it became clear that Jesus didn't fit those expectations, as they saw them, they were quick to get rid of him. No one wants to follow a crucified Messiah. So what hope is there for any of us? What would cause someone to want to follow this crucified Messiah? Even in the gospels, the disciples struggle with this. You see Peter denying Jesus. This is a hard teaching. So what does it take to actually become the type of Jesus followers, the disciples that Jesus calls us to be? Well, right before our story in Mark 11, right before the triumphal entry, there's a really key scene in Mark 10, and it involves a man named Bartimaeus. When we meet him, he is blind and unable to see. He cries out for mercy for Jesus to heal him, and Jesus heals his blindness. But within Mark's story, this is actually a very interesting turn of events, as now Bartimaeus can truly see in more ways than one. He can see Jesus for who he truly is. Mark's point, I think, is that it takes a healing from Jesus to see him and his crucified way of being Messiah as worthy of following. It takes a healing from Jesus at the beginning of the week in order to see the events that unfold in a way that leads Jesus to be the true Messiah. We are blind to the ways of God. We are in need of a healing from Jesus. Apart from him, we will never see the way of God, the way of suffering for the sake of others, as worthy of following. And we saw this again put forward for us in our two readings assigned this morning. When I first saw it, I was actually a little confused. I was like, wait, wait, this is Palm Sunday. Why are we skipping to the end? Why are we reading in a time of joyful celebration the crucifixion of Jesus? Didn't see why those would go together seems like we'd be jumping ahead too far. And then it hit me, the brilliance of these assigned readings, the brilliance of the lectionary, because they get to the heart of Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel and these lectionary readings are going out of their way to make sure that we are not confused about the nature of Jesus's triumphal entry. You see, what makes Jesus triumphal or victorious is not the donkey ride. It's not the adoring crowd shouting Hosanna. It's not the palm branches. It's none of that. Mark and the lectionary direct our eyes to the cross and our crucified Messiah. Because Jesus' enthronement as king, what the people were waiting for, doesn't happen on the donkey. It doesn't happen on a throne. It happens through the cross. And the triumphal nature of Jesus is not what anyone expected. It's not what anyone wanted. It's not what we all desired. Jesus triumphs over death and the forces of death, and all those who use death to oppress others by offering his own life for the sake of ours, and creates this new way of being human, a way marked out for his disciples. And this is just as scandalous then as it is now. I think there's actually two scandals here at the Palm Sunday story in Mark's gospel. And this revolves around being a crucified Messiah and being crucified. Disciples. I think the first scandal is that we follow a crucified Messiah. Yes, Jesus is resurrected, but he still is crucified. He's a Messiah who didn't fight, but laid down his life. Like the triumphal entry crowd, we want a Jesus who saves us now in the ways that we want saving, in the manners in which we want saving. And we can be and we are just as Messiah making as the crowds in Mark. We shouldn't think we'd respond any differently than the crowds either. That's why we shout crucify in that second reading because we are the crowds. We want a Jesus who fights our battles, defends our rights, champions our causes, crushes our enemies, and requires little of us, but to do our bidding. Jesus will have none of this and rightly so. We often talk about following Jesus as our Savior, as our Messiah, but I wonder if that's not precise enough. You see, unless we see the gospel's picture of Jesus as a crucified Messiah, I think we can allow the same temptation that drove the crowds away to tempt us too. It's much more difficult to follow a Messiah who chooses to suffer and die and gives up their power. That's a hard one to follow. And so we're forced to ask, are we following a Messiah of our own making? Or are we following the crucified Jesus? I think the second scandal is a bit more subtle. That's to be a crucified disciple. Like the disciples, we might be fine with this Messiah who suffers. Maybe that first scandal isn't much of a scandal. Yep, Jesus suffers. I get that. His life, like Isaiah, is an atonement for all. I I can live with that. I I can make sense of that. We might be fine with a Messiah who suffers for some greater purpose, but not a Messiah who calls us to suffer like he did. We don't want to live a cross-shaped life. The way to follow Jesus, to be the type of followers that Jesus calls us to be, is to see him and embrace his suffering and death for the sake of the world as our own identity too. And are we willing to let our expectations of life and salvation, our life with Jesus, to be shaped by the one who was nailed to a cross? When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he says, be prepared to come and die with me. It's a high demand to follow Jesus as a crucified Messiah. And we don't follow Jesus to get where we're going, as if Jesus is coming along with us. We follow Jesus to get where he's going. And in Mark, that's the way of the cross. You see, the way of the cross is not marked out just for Jesus. It's marked out for his disciples too. And the disciples would eventually come to understand this in a very real way with their lives. What about us? Do we see our lives and our calling as one that is about serving and sacrificing and suffering for the sake of other people? As we wrap up, I don't want us to miss the wonderful invitation that Holy Week gives us. Are we more like the crowds in Mark's gospel, or are we going to be faithful disciples of Jesus? The events of Holy Week offer us a similar invitation to walk through the final week of Jesus' life and see Jesus as our crucified yet risen Messiah. This week at Redeemer, we have several services coming up on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Can I encourage you to make these services a priority? Maybe you've never made it to one of them. I'd encourage you to come. They're quite, quite powerful. They're powerful because these services can be a healing event for us, just like Bartimaeus, because they will direct our eyes to look at Jesus and to be reminded of, and to remind us that we follow and that we shape our lives to look more like his more like our crucified Messiah. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.